0: All right, Sixers fans, feels good to be back after some actual game action. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Some things to discuss. Tyrese Maxey looks great again in another post preseason part of me win for the Sixers. Also, Paul Reed, Montrezl Harrell, what to do with the backup five spot. And we'll touch on the annual NBA GM's poll as well, and where they had the Sixers in the Eastern Conference pecking order. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You already know you can catch us wherever you get your fix. And, of course, Check us out online at libertyballers.com. Joining me, one of the people you see behind the magic at Liberty Ballers, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. First off, how good does it feel for you to actually, even though it's preseason, see some actual game action on the television now?
1: Season, It's been fun to write some stuff, but uh, yesterday rewatching that game, it was nice to have new new film to pour over. So uh, I'm excited to uh, be back, even though we're only kind of getting halves of, the you know, I guess we've gotten one half of two games of the, the full Sixers, but it's certainly been been enjoyable for these these games to uh, be new.
0: Jackson, before we jump into it, how much film do you watch a week of basketball, just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on every week. But, um, you know, once the regular season starts, I take I it pretty easy outside the Sixers during the preseason. But regular season, I mean, you know, during the work week, you know, anywhere from two to three, sometimes four games, um, sometimes more if it's a lighter week and I'm writing a lot. You know, maybe only two games a day, but uh, definitely a lot of film and just trying to enjoy it and make sure I also have the, you know, the tools to, to write about what I'm writing about, be educated about it.
0: Oh, that my friends is called dedication, right, Jackson? That's what, that's what we love reading. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's jump into it. Sixers get a 113-112 win over the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell playing his first game for Cleveland. I'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But the Sixers went with the starting lineup. No surprise here. Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, first guys off the bench wound up being George Niang and uh, De'Anthony Melton. Uh, again, we'll jump into the, some of the bench talk first, but Tyrese Maxey has looked great throughout a couple of games in the preseason. Of course, hasn't played a ton. Uh, the starters didn't even get on the court again in the second half for this one. But looking at Maxey, uh, 41 points so far, 15 and 19 shooting, 5 and 9 from deep. That's only in 29 total minutes in the preseason, again, it's only preseason, but we could tell this guy's taken another leap in his development. Jackson, when you're watching him play so far, what do you see the little intricacies that that uh, Tyrese Maxey has added to his game that might be a little bit different from last season?
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but he just looks really aggressive. I remember the first preseason game last year against the Raptors. I think he didn't play very well, and you could tell he was just kind of hesitant and, and trying to figure things out and maybe not exactly sure how to go about, you know, leaving his mark. And, and now he just has no hesitancy, you know, first play of the game against Brooklyn, you know, comes down, hits a pull-up three, you know, scores the first eight points. Um, just looks really confident and, and, and comfortable and kind of figuring out how to to score the ball. And the other thing that's been nice is I think he's taken some risks as a passer. Um, had three turnovers today, but he had one path that I liked. The try to kind of fit one through a narrow window to cut cutting Tobias Harris ended up in a turnover, but that's been kind of one of the things that I've talked about with with Max is I think at times he's a little too conservative as a passer. That hasn't been the case um, in these first couple preseason games. I thought his defense has been pretty solid time, but it was better against Brooklyn, had some issues um, against, you know, talented ball handlers, especially like Darius Garland in the first half, but um, just really like what I'm seeing all around. Um, you know, he's had, he's had, I think, a pull-up jumper or two as well for mid-range, which is an area that, you know, I think would really be a nice step for him. Uh, drew some fouls in game one against Brooklyn. So um, just kind of building upon what he already did well last year and also maybe hinting at the possibility that some of his areas for growth are actually going to be areas that he grows in this season.
0: Yeah, you look at his the way he's comfortable, even on the catch-and-shoot threes. I haven't seen that a ton from him over the first couple of years, but uh, still has that really quick first step where he can take a wonderful pull-up if the defender does run out at him. But again, I, I love what I'm seeing from him in terms of the aggressiveness not really focused too much on the playmaking as much. I think this season doesn't have to, considering the Ben Simmons drama kind of kept him in that role uh, early on until they made the deal for Harden. But when you look at Maxi going into this season, and there was a lot of chatter about it on Twitter during the game itself, do you look at him as a guy who might be able to potentially get into or name to the all-star team this season, just given what we've seen so far and the jump he took, not only from year one to year two, but the one we're anticipating now going into year three?
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. Um, I, you know, I, I, he's a different type of player, but I look at his rise in some ways kind of akin to Darius Garland, who, you know, in year three, um, you know, made a really nice jump. But they're different roles. Like I said, Garland was kind of the the primary ball handler all three years in Cleveland. Um, but just kind of that steady rise. And last year, like I said, Garland made an all star team. And so um, I don't know if I would bet on it necessarily, but I think one thing that Maxi does have going for him too is like, he plays a ton of minutes and you know through this to this point, he's been super, super durable. There always seems to be a guy or two that you know has to has to miss the all-star game for injury. I'm Not saying that not like expecting that to happen, but like you usually just gotta bake that in, like an all-star mainstay. Um, and so like I, you know, I think a lot of some of these sites that had him in that, you know, predicting these next player, the players for this upcoming year were in that, you know, 40 to 60 range for maxi. And if he's closer to that 40, maybe even gets into the top 40, like you're looking at a guy who's gonna be in contention, right? Because Um, you know, it just, that's generally how it goes. You like, ideally the top 30 is an all-star, but top 40, probably going to at least get some buzz. So, um, yeah, I think he's certainly primed to be a guy that at the very least you're mentioning kind of on your, your longer list when you're trying to whittle it down at, at his best, you're, he's a guy that you're like, yeah, we'll squeak him in and, you know, as the 28th best player this season, you know, but so, um, yeah, absolutely a guy that I, think is going to at least get some buzz. Is it enough to carry him into the actual an actual appearance at this point? I'm not sure. Um, but definitely someone who is going to have his name mentioned, I think.
0: Yeah, he's, he should be right there. And it, the East is absolutely loaded too, right? You look at the, the, the level of guards that you have there. Donovan Mitchell, obviously one of those guys who has been added to it uh, looking around the rest of the way. I mean, so many, so many good players, Jason Tatum, if you want to count him as a, as a guard there um, looking around, obviously you got Trey young, you can go just down the line. Uh, so many good players, Kyrie Irving, if he's able to play. So, uh, again, don't know how he's going to fit in. Maybe the fans uh, internationally fall in love with him the way I know Philly fans have and start voting for him like crazy, or there's a push for him. But I definitely can see him being right there in terms of being a fringe all star. And I think over the next two or three seasons, he's definitely going to make one game. Don't know when that's going to happen yet. Uh, I mentioned who they started. No surprise there. And for those of you who don't know, Doc Rivers uh, didn't end up being on the sideline for this one, dealing with an illness. So, Dave Yeager. Uh, took over. But again, looking at those five that I mentioned Embiid, Maxi Harden, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, that looks like the starting lineup no matter what going into the opener on October 18th against Boston. And then I mentioned they went with Nyang, and, and Melton looks to be that guy coming off the bench. But uh, anything you notice with the rotation so far during the I know it's only preseason Jackson, but over the first couple of years, like our first couple of games, anything you're noticing in terms of Okay, I I like what they're doing here, or maybe something you might be questioning already with how the coaching staffs are running their subs.
1: Uh I mean, I think the two things that stand out from today's game, because game one, you can't really take much, they're missing four rotation players. But today, you know, Paul Reed getting minutes over Montrose Harrell and uh, Matisse Seibel not really being in the 10 man rotation. Looks like Sheikh Milton currently has the edge over presumably Furcon Corkmaz and Matisse Seibel for that that let's say 10th man spot, it feels like roughly um which you know I I think was a little surprising you know we saw some talk on media today about the the Melton dude offensively. we saw it work decently well in game one so um those are some things that are surprising um one thing I did see you know at times is we we saw MB plus four bench guys then we also saw an all bench lineup so you know I' don't, I once I saw that when I saw when I saw M b plus four bench guys I was like hey, I don't think that should be something we that they run or that we see more of you know whatever uh in the regular season but uh, once I saw the all bench, you know, I know this is a Doc Rivers team, but I just can't. It doesn't seem like something we're going to see in the regular season, so I I didn't t- put as much stock into the lineups, um, you know, that we saw on the floor. But it does, like I guess it does feel like Reed has that advantage over Harrell for now, um, which I think Keith Pompey actually reported yesterday, or he wrote an article about kind of reporting that Reed had played number two in camp. Uh, and then, like I said, Shake Milton maybe bringing extra little extra ball handling juice than the defensive. Uh, aptitude that we see with Thiebel for that you know, ninth, tenth rotation spot.
0: Yeah, I noticed that too. Even with like, I don't know if I like it, but having Melton kind of be the primary creator in an all bench lineup, I'm not too big of a fan of that. Like, he's he's good at getting downhill, he's he's good at attacking the hoop, but not great in terms of being a total setup guy. At least hasn't looked that great so far in my opinion, are you still with that too? Like, let's try and stagger those lineups a, a little bit. So you are having some overlap between maybe it's Maxi or Harden who's getting in with, with the, with the bench guys. And you're not having to go with like wholesale changes. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, it's an interesting place to be. And I, I definitely agree about Mel. And I remember when I wrote a breakdown of him this summer, I said like he's best when he's like on ball limited, his on ball responsibilities are narrow. He's just not a super great playmaker and decision maker at the moment. Um, kind of fall in love with his own jumper which I think we saw more of in game one than game two of preseason. But I definitely agree with you on that. But I think it's an interesting debate in terms of the staggering, because I think we would all agree that, you know, at this moment that Maxie Harden and MP are your top three players um, and Maxie and Harden are kind of your only two credible ball handlers, right? At least in the perimeter. We can, we saw what MB can do in stretches. um, But I don't love what Milton brings there. I don't love what Milton brings. Um, and so, but at the same time, Maxi and Harden so, such a great dynamic together that, like, you wonder, like, do we want to stagger them? Do we want to play them together a lot? How does that work? So, um, I think ideally, you probably stagger them a lot, you know, and, and kind of pair Maxi with Embiid because I think that's a really nice duo as well. Um, but it's, it's certainly kind of interesting debate as Maxi continues to get better, um, and even more versatile. Like, how do you kind of parse all that out, I think is something that is going to be important for Docker Rivers and company to, um, you know, finalize it, you know, n- not anytime soon, of course, but like you want to figure that out, at least by, you know, March or April. And luckily, there's a lot of time for them to do that. But like I said, as Max continues to rise the ranks as a player, it does kind of put them in an interesting spot, because he could maybe, you know, commandeer some possessions on his own, as a permanent creator, but also just play so well off of Harden. So, How do you go about approaching that is kind of the one thing that I'm going to be monitoring, monitoring, I think, a lot throughout this season.
0: Yeah, and they're going to have time to figure all this out. They don't need to figure it out game one. You know what I mean? You saw what the Celtics did last season, sitting at 23 and 24, went on a crazy run throughout late December until obviously all the way through to the finals, running into that, that warrior squad that beat them. So again, the, not the sky won't be falling at the Sixers start off the season five and five. You know what I mean? They're, it might take some time. You're hoping they come out guns a blazing and figure everything out and, and, and kind of put their stamp on the fact that they're going to be a team that it's a legit, they already are considered in my opinion, but again, stamping themselves as a legitimate contender, but at the same time wouldn't be surprised to see doc and, and the staff take some time to figure things out. You mentioned one guy there, Jackson Montrezl. Harrell. Uh, looking like he's going to be the second option as a backup five behind Embiid, but he's looked pretty damn good over the first couple of preseason games. You look at what he did tonight, the Sixers were feeding him the rock uh, pretty late. Again, playing against a lot of the uh, Cavs second unit and and likely guys who are going to be either end of the bench or not on the opening day roster. But um, looks like a guy who he's been throughout the last few years of his career, obviously didn't get as much uh coverage last season playing with, the Hornets and playing with the Wizards uh compared to what he did when he was on on Doc's uh, Clippers teams but I think he's looked pretty damn good for what he brings to the table he's put up 10 points against the Brooklyn Nets on Monday put up 13 in this one when you look at his addition and remember it kind of came out of nowhere people are like what the hell like they signed Montrezaro but um wh- what do you think what's the ceiling with this squad Jackson because I look at it and I, I also think Having options is a great thing. Now we don't know. There's always a question mark about Doc Rivers' coaching style and what he's what he's going to decide to do with his rotations. But I look at a guy like Harold. You you look at the, even the Warriors last season where they had different options that hey. If things aren't going our way, we can take Kevon Looney off the floor uh, and we can put him back in. If we need to get rebounding, we can go with Dream on at the five. We can go with these different types of lineups that the other team is kept off balance. So when you look at a Harold's edition again, I still like Paul Reed. I think he's super active. You look at even the numbers he put up in this preseason game, 5.6 rebounds, four steals. Like the guy fills up the stat sheets every time he's out there. I think defensively, he's looked a little bit better again it's only preseason but not taking as many dumb fouls using his feet a lot more than just using his hands on the defensive end but Jackson when you when you look at Harrell and Reed in that little combo as the backup five behind Joel do you think Harrell has a chance to be a consistent backup with the second unit or he's going to have to earn his minutes to try and get up into those really top 10 on the roster
1: well I think he right now the coaching staff or at least the rotations are indicating that he has to earn it you know he's Paul Reed started in Embiid's absence in game one, which I think some of us thought was, oh, Doc likes to keep his primary backups in that backup role. But then, you know, Paul Reed was the one that played, got the minutes behind Embiid in, in game two against the Cavs on Wednesday. So um, clearly it looks like, uh, you know, right now that Harold's going to have to earn those minutes and maybe jump Reed. Uh, you know, as as he mentioned, he's having a strong preseason, so he's at least doing what he can. Um, I think it's an interesting debate because, you know, Harold's whole thing is he's an incredibly efficient um, scorer, right? Really good finisher, can kind of create at times in the face-up range. Good, like kind of interior touch. Really good motor on the offensive glass, draws fouls. Um, his efficiency, his scoring efficiency, is ridiculously good the past like four or five years, maybe even dating back farther. Um, but not a good pick-and-roll defender. Really undersized, it hurts him a lot. Um, you know, he got benched in the first run against the Suns a couple years ago in the playoffs. Um, was part of the reason Nikola Jokic such a, such a prolific series you know, against the uh, Clippers in the bubble a couple years ago. Obviously, it's not entirely Harold's fault. Doc showed kind of too much of a willingness to play him. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he beats the Zubats, but um, that's kind of the worry, right? As the Sixers have title aspirations. And of course, you know, in the meaningful series or the meaningful moments, Embiid's going to be a guy playing 36, 38, 40, 42 minutes. So can you just get eight to 10 minutes out of out of Harold? Maybe it's Reed too. Maybe you're kind of just picking and choosing picking and your spots. But that's kind of the worry for me is that I think Harold could be a really, really good regular season player from off the bench. Um, I know Reed has a lot to work on refining refine, as you mentioned, kind of staying more disciplined, better positioning with the fouls. You know, as you also mentioned, he only had one foul you know, on, on Wednesday. So that's encouraging despite also having four steals. So he's still making those plays without fouling. So um we'll see. I prefer Reed from a long-term perspective, but it's also worth noting that maybe it gets to be February, March, April, and he hasn't quite gotten to the point you want where you can trust him over Harrell in the playoffs, and you don't even know if you can trust Harrell. So maybe they go small with Tobias or P.J. Tucker at the five. We saw a little bit of Tobias at the five briefly against the Nets on Monday. So um, we'll see there. But to, to answer succinctly, uh, I, I really do envision this backup five spot being something that Doc tinkers with throughout the entire regular season, maybe even tinkers with into the playoffs at times.
0: Yeah. And again, I actually don't think that's a bad thing, Jackson, because you've seen it. I mean, even looking back at the 2020 Lakers, like Dwight Howard, not a guy who's actually endearing to Sixers fans. But you look at the job he did in the in the conference finals and finals where if they needed him, they can put him in. And and, and they were able to shift the game plan around and shift the lineups a little bit just because at the time, Frank Vogel had those options. So I think, again, uh, never a bad thing when you have 10, 11 legitimate NBA guys that you can kind of cycle through and, and give the opponent different looks, uh, obviously, to, while not trying to weaken your position too much as well. A couple of the observations I want to share with you, Jackson, looking at this game, PJ Tucker didn't do a whole lot, but did have those two offensive rebounds uh, in, in basically on one possession, got a nice little pop from the Philly fan. So I think he's going to fit in quite nicely there. And then also looking at Tobias here, here's the thing with Tobias. I'm like, if he was making like $21 million a year, Jackson, people would love him, right? Like, don't you think so?
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, that's the nature of the way it goes. I think, you know, it's not Tobias's fault. I think I you would hope by year four of this contract to, if Tobias continues to play as well as he did to end last year, that fans could maybe start to overlook that. Cause it's not his fault that he got this max deal, but yeah, totally agree. I think he looked good. Uh, I like the way they're kind of getting him his shots. You know, it looks like they're going to be, you know, they're either going to get him posted up against a small guy. It's gonna be a lot of spot up three attacking off the catch. Um, they've run two after timeout plays in the first quarter uh, for Tobias, a couple of different plays and he's hit both of his threes there. Um, something that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I was encouraged by Tobias, honestly, both, uh, both games so far, more so, you know, against the Cavs, but, uh, you know, I, I've been kind of beating the Tobias drum all offseason. I think he's gonna have a really nice year. Um, but yeah, PJ, you know, I thought he was putting some weird spots offensively. Uh, did have a couple of nice screen assists on the Tobias three and the maxi three on the, on the left side. I think, He's really smart about kind of setting those flare screens around the corner area. They did it a ton last year for the Heat. So I think that's going to help guys like Tobias, maybe George Yang, maxi uh, Danthony Melton a lot. So um didn't love how they had Tucker chasing Jonathan Mitchell around a lot of screens off the ball. I think that's tough for him, but uh it's gonna be a mix and match thing. You know, they brought him in to be one of their one of if not their best perimeter defenders. So uh so they're gonna kind of test the scope of of what he can do in that regard. And that's what these the preseasons for. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you about, about PJ quiet night, but you still saw the subtleties of his game and what he can bring to this team in the
0: starting lineup. Okay, Jackson, I'm going to turn to that guy right now. Who's over dissecting things, two games into a preseason, but what did you think of James Harden? Well, he saw a limited amount of time with him on the court. As we said, only the starters only suited up to really play in the first half. Uh, he had 19 points, three and nine from the field. Had that one nice highlight on Wade, where he shook him bad. Uh, ended up hitting hitting a bucket, a running bucket, but looked like he could have gotten a foul there too. Refs didn't call it. Uh, but what did you think? Because I was particularly looking at okay, what's his athleticism going to look like? Was was the lack of burst last season? the result of the hamstring, the lingering hamstring injury that he had from his time in Brooklyn, or is it something that, okay, you look at a guy like Harden, he's been around in the league for a very long time, had a, has a ton of miles on him, uh, 33 years old, just turned 33 uh, back in late August. When you look at him, is there anything you noticed over his 19 minutes that might be encouraging or discouraging either way? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think
1: he definitely, like, I think the burst was, up and down again um he definitely looked like a guy who was still getting acclimated back to nba basketball uh so you know i I don't think he looked demonstrably different than last year but i i I don't think i've ever expected him to look like a top five guy again i think i've tried to make clear throughout basically the last 10 months that i think he could be better but like i don't think he's going to look radically different i think it's also going to take some time for that to come back you know just for him to you know, kind of get his feet wet and figure this out with a new with a new team and I live been playing a lot and he's familiar with guys like Daniel house and PJ Tucker and you know play with him bead and Maxie and Tobias last year but um you know I I didn't expect for him in game one to look great I thought he looked okay um I thought the one thing that is encouraging is he did take nine shots in 19 minutes last year he only averaged about 14 shots a game with the sixers in 38 minutes so about four more you know across the same number of minutes I don't know what the I don't know what the possession dis- distribution was like that would be a better better accurate or more accurate uh you know gauge of things but um took a mid-range jumper you know step step back we've seen some times in the highlight film over the offseason um uh, missed it but i i just i don't know i think he looked about what we saw last year maybe a little springier at times the cows lowered the paint a lot on him mm-hmm. um he did create a couple of nice threes as a result maxi had a corner three where i think it was a hockey assist for harden so um, you know, I, I, think it's, you know, I don't think he's, if you were expecting him to instantly be this guy that could be a top seven player again, then no, I think you probably should be a little discouraged. If you thought he's maybe going to be closer to that 15 to 17 range, than maybe top 25, like last year, then I think you should feel about the same as he did before, but I thought he looked fine. I, I, I just, I think it's, it's just too, I can't take too much away from a, from a veteran who was expected to play a ton of minutes again, have a heavy workload, uh, and is still kind of getting acclimated, but that would be my stance if you, Hold firm if you thought he'd be kind of an all-NBA type guy. If you thought he'd be a borderline MVP super superstar again, then you should probably be a little bit discouraged from what you saw.
0: Yeah, I, I'm looking at him to try to be a at least an all-star. Uh, I think that's that's pretty reasonable for the expectations for what he is and, and who he's been throughout his career. Uh, so again, looking for that. I did notice that I'm like, okay, his ups obviously aren't what it, what they were a few years ago. Uh, and in terms of the quickness and just athleticism, again, not that he's terrible, uh, still doesn't look like he's totally comfortable being there. But again, I'm saying this on early October, we might see a whole different Harden come time for mid-November when he's actually played a few games and, and gotten his body ready back into the swing of an NBA regular season. Um, one more thing before we wrap up here, Jackson, and, and kind of get into a different topic and take a break. When you look at the end of the rotation like i looked at shake milton in this one he looks bigger like in terms of he put on some bulk he looks stronger overall in terms of his body uh looked a little bit more confident in terms of shooting the rock as well and and trying to get to the hole and you mentioned does bring that like dynamic of, of a little bit better with the handles and and can kind of take over the primary ball handler spot uh for the second unit and then you mentioned matisse uh didn't really see much from him again. One of four from the field, missed all three of his three-point attempts, including his first one, which was an air ball. And I'm like, damn, there goes Matisse in, in mid-season form already. Uh, but anybody at towards the end of the bench or any of those guys kind of impressing you enough that you think they might be fighting for a rotation spot or a roster spot uh, come time for the cuts?
1: Uh, I mean, not particularly. I mean, I think like the, the rotation, I mean, like Furcon wasn't very good, missed all five of his threes. Um, they 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 put they have Furcon in this kind of this weird ball handling role a lot, which I think is not really conducive to him playing effective basketball. Um, so it doesn't feel like they're giving him a great shot here. Uh, like if they're if they're trying to get him to vie for rotation minutes, like him playing these all bench units where he's the best or second best creator doesn't feel fair to his role that in terms of what he would play, you know, as a rotation player. So um, I'm not saying like I would play Furcon, but like I don't think you're gonna learn a lot about Furcon you know, in, in the minutes he's getting in the in the postseason, right in the preseason, excuse me, right now. Um, nobody else. I thought it was interesting. We didn't see any of Michael Farson Jr., Charles Bassey, Isaiah Joe, Trevin and Queen. Um, you know, Bassey, Joe, and Queen kind of seem like the guys that people are speculating could be on the on the cusp of the roster. I thought Isaiah Joe played pretty solidly against Brooklyn. I thought Bassey wasn't great. Queen was okay. Um, they're gonna have to cut, I think, two of those guys if I if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. They have 17 guys right now um so you would presume and i think if you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think fosters on a two-way um so you know you would think that two of bassy joe and queen are kind of on the on the outs there um you know people who've read my work and listened to me for a while know that i'm kind of partial partialized to joe though i also understand why he hasn't gotten a shot so i would go with joe over over bassy and queen i just think like Bassi is so far down the list of options of where you'd ever play him in meaningful minutes, just given how many guys I'll play at center with Embiid and Harrell and, and Reed and Tucker and Tobias, uh, you know, maybe George and Yang at times, it just doesn't feel very useful for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd hope he goes go somewhere. he could actually develop more, whether it's in the G league or get some spot minutes um, in the NBA. Um, So that's, that's kind of what I'm observing, but no, I, I didn't, I didn't see much. Jaden Springer still seems a ways away offensively. You can see the defensive flashes, but just doesn't have the jumper or the scoring on the ball to make it work right now. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, when these when these end of the bench guys were in, it was mostly me just kind of watching shake and a little bit of Matisse and, and Montrez. Other than that, it was was not much that I was you know holding on to.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not again. I'm with you. Nobody really impressed me that much. I, I said the guys like Shake, who, again, I've always kind of liked his game open he was able to to kind of get back on track health wise and he does look pretty damn good in terms of his physical condition early on in the preseason let's take a break here jackson just want to touch on the nba gm's poll they do this every year where they predict who's going to win the championship coming out of the conferences we'll do that after a short break all right we are back jackson just want to quickly touch on uh the nba's annual gm poll uh came out i believe it was on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And so you got to kind of glimpse into what guys who are actual NBA executives think about the lay of the land with the teams in the league. Now, interestingly, this is going down for the percentages that kind of the way things broke down. 43% of GMs picked the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA title. The Golden State Warriors came in second at 25. The Clippers at 21%. The Celtics, the fourth and second team overall, fourth overall and second in the East at 11%. But my gripe with this whole thing is, majority of them picked the Sixers to finish third in the East around 66%, Uh, 14% had them in second, 14 had them in third, 19% had them in fifth in the conference. And I was like, I look back and obviously remember Jackson that all those teams in terms of Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, all within two games of each other. uh, The Celtics, the Bucks and and the Sixers ended up tying technically for second. Obviously the league tiebreakers had Boston go two, Milwaukee three, Philly four into the playoffs, but Looking at this, like I think Miami's taking a step back. Boston dealing with some injuries, with uh, Robert Williams being out for a while. Obviously losing Gallinari, but then they did bring in Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, the Bucks going to ha- had Chris Middleton for a lot of last season. The regular season lost him in the playoffs, but expecting the Bucks to be pretty damn good again. But I look at the Sixers. We've talked about all the additions in terms of PJ Tucker, the Anthony Melton, Daniel House, uh, Montrez Harrell now too, depending on how much of an impact he's going to have. When you saw that, were you surprised at all? that the Sixers aren't getting a lot of love amongst NBA executives?
1: Eh, not particularly. I think third is, is probably kind of where the consensus would have them. You know, Boston, Milwaukee have that final pedigree. Obviously, Milwaukee, you know, has the championship pedigree. And, and you know, and Boston couldn't quite get over the hump. But, uh, you know, brought back the, the majority of their core. Um, but, I mean, Philadelphia, I think for a lot of people, is still an improvement situation. Um, you know, Embiid hasn't quite been able to always be the – same a little superstar that he is in the regular season, the postseason. Harden, people know about his kind of his struggles at times, especially, you know, in, in critical games, you know, I think back to game six against, you know, the, this the heat this past year, I think back to game six years ago uh, against the Spurs. So um, I get the hesitancy for sure. Um, people might be hesitant about where PJ Tucker is going to be as he continues to age after a really good year, but maybe not a year that he's going to replicate. So, um, you know, I, I understand it. I think, you know, they're 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 right there. Um, you know, a lot of it's contingent on how good Harden can be, how good Maxi can be. You know, I think we're all gonna expect MB to be as good or maybe even better than he has been the last couple of seasons, but um, no, it didn't really surprise me. Truthfully, I didn't look at a lot of that GM stuff, you know, it was basically whatever came across my timeline or you know, was shared in work slacks. So, you know, I'm not seeking that stuff out. Um, but no, I think third is perfectly reasonable. I think it puts you right there. With, you know, with a chance to make a deep run. So um, I, I get why maybe they don't have them as, you know, high up as as the Bucks and the Celtics, despite both of those teams having somewhat of a off seasons. It seemed like the Celtics were in line to have a great off season. And then, you know, the, the Gallinari news hits and the Robert Williams news hits. And then obviously their their coach is suspended for at least a year. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been a weird spot for them, but they've still got the main of the rotation. Robert Williams should be back at some point. So I definitely get it
0: yeah no I, I i we've said this pretty much the whole offseason jackson but milwaukee and boston still to me the two favorites in the eastern conference but the sixers again right there which is where most of the nba gms had them I wanted to talk a little bit about the Cavs, though right like i mentioned donovan mitchell made his debut in a Cavs uniform again in a preseason capacity won't do so in a real capacity for at least another couple of weeks here but looking at at what the Cavs ceiling is, right? Evan Mobley had to sit this one out. He's dealing with the sprained ankle, but they still got a ton of talent Darius there. Uh, I love Karis Levert's game. Always have depends if he could stay healthy. Obviously you got Jared Allen there. Uh, just a good squad. Where do you put the Cavs amongst the Eastern Conference teams?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I'd think have them fourth. Um, I think a little ahead of the heat. I don't know if they have quite the high end talent at the moment to, to be in that championship contention. Uh, that could change, and you, know, you could see a Mitchell or a, or a Garland or you know Mobley and Allen, the kind of their big four, take a step. I think I'd bank on one of the guards doing it bef- this year, at least before any either of the big men. I think Mobley can get there eventually, but I don't think he's going to quite be like a top 10 to 12 player this year. If he is, the Cavs are in an incredible, incredible spot, even more than the great spot they're in currently. Um, but I have a little bit out of the Heat, but I can also see the Heat you know, jumping them. Maybe Bam out of Bio takes a leap. Maybe Tyler Hero takes a leap. You know, the, the Heat obviously do have that question mark. It's, it's power forward after P.J. Tucker's departure. So I'm a little lower on them, but they've proven to be an awesome developmental spot. Jimmy Butler is is a great superstar, top 10 and 12 player who's been awesome in a lot of postseasons over his career. So, you um, obviously, I think you'd have him as I'd have him as the best player between the Cavs and the Heat, which I don't think is always the most the best way to kind of reduce analysis. But sometimes it, it does work out that way. Um, but, yeah, I'd have the Cavs fourth, but I could certainly see them you know, a little higher or lower depending on how things shake out with with themselves, the teams above them, and then kind of where the heat go. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this Cavs team. I was, a, I, was a fan, I was a fan of them before they even acquired Donovan Mitchell, you know, who I think you know was right on the cusp of All-NBA last year. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be really, really good. And, you know, you just hope that Mobley can come back and, you know, and be healthy soon enough after the sprint angle is dealing with. And they can kind of solidify that, that three spot um you know whether it's Levert taking a step forward um I'm kind of on the opposite side of you I haven't been a huge fan of this game for a while but maybe it's Isaac Okoro taking a step forward as well maybe Dean Wade's that guy kind of fills Larry Markkinen's spot as that kind of that three slash four who can defend in space a little bit and you know shoot spot of three so we'll see but uh yeah I like the Cavs a lot this year and I expect them to be a team that's going to win a lot of regular season games and had a chance to make a deep run. I just don't know if they have the, the high end talent this year, at least. I think they will eventually, but this year at least to, to compete for, you know, a, a title, but I, I don't want to rule it out because, you know, I think they have a lot of young guys who could they have a couple of young guys who could really make that leap into that next year, but we shall see, which is the joy of, of an NBA season.
0: Oh, yeah, Jackson, I, if they keep that squad together for like another two years, like three for sure. But, uh, you know, two seasons from now, I, I think that Cavs team is going to be right up there. They're doing a great job rebuilding after LeBron obviously left for a second time. I'd be remiss if I didn't wrap up with this, Jackson. Some the really the major news in the NBA coming out on Wednesday is Draymond Green. I uh, ended up getting into a bit of a tussle with Jordan Poole, uh, apparently popped him with a punch. Uh, the both guys came kind of chest to chest, face to face. We're talking smack. Things got separated. The reports from Shams is that the Warriors might have to discipline Draymond. Again, wouldn't be surprised if it's like a preseason game or it's suspended for the season opener or something like that. Uh, when you hear about this stuff happening, here's the thing for me: like when I hear about this happening, I'm like, dude, this happens with every team. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what's what sport it is, and especially at the level these guys are at. Uh they're they're grown men, they're 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 doing this for a living. There's going to be competitiveness. There's going to be smack talking. When you hear about this stuff, do you think it's a huge deal hearing that Draymond Green, of course, he's a volatile personality. Uh, Also, I I kind of love his realness at at points throughout uh, the way he speaks to the media, the way he he talks, and and how deliberate he is at times. So uh, I've got to say, I I do like Draymond Green. I'm not one of those people who's like, we'll sit here and talk about being sick of his antics, which I hate hearing too. But when you hear about this kind of inter-team drama, does it raise like a red flag for you at all? Or do you look at this and say, man, come on, this is sports. And this is what happens.
1: I don't think it raises some significant red flag, but when I do see this, because I generally agree that like this, these sort of things happen all the time, uh, you know, in practice, but when I see it publicized the screen, I do wonder like, like how serious is it, you know, because I Mm -hmm. like that's, that's what comes to mind for me. It's like, Oh yeah, this happens all the time. You get in an argument with teammates. You're both passionate but for it to come out like this, I just do wonder kind of the severity of it. Right. Like, so I don't I don't speculate on necessarily, but like I just I do raise an and go, hmm, this is probably more than just the normal practice kerfuffle or whatever. Right. So um, I don't know exactly what that means, but um, that's kind of where I stand on that. It's like, OK, if it's notable enough for, you know, one of the preeminent and NBA newsbreakers to uh, report it, then it's probably not just your standard kind of shoving match. As you mentioned, it says through a punch at at Jordan pool. Um, but yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get maybe a little more clarity um, on things in the coming hours or days, but um, I'm not sounding the alarm bells and saying, Oh, the, the the championship honeymoon's over for the Warriors, pack it up. But I definitely do just kind of, I just wonder, okay, what's, what's next? Is there going to be a follow-up, but um, maybe that's an not happened, but yeah, I think it's definitely more than kind of the standard back and forth, but I don't know to what extent um, and, and, I, for with and I don't mean this in like an abrasive way, but I also don't like care that much because I might, you know as as an NBA writer reporter my my focus is generally kind of on the on court happenings and you know I'm not privy to what goes on behind the scenes of the Warriors and I'll let everyone else deal with that and the news will will fall as it does and I'll uh, I'll keep chugging on doing my, doing my own stuff.
0: <laughs> you know what's funny, Jackson? Sorry with the cough there, but I was thinking to myself: like, My immediate reaction when I saw that when I saw Shams' tweet was, who told him? How did he find out? You know what I mean? Did Jordan Poole go back there, tell his agent that he'd give that news to Shams? That's the interesting part to me right now. And like you said, obviously, there's something to it a little bit bigger than the fact that these guys were, were yelling at each other and talking shit to each other. It obviously went a layer deep in that. But like you said, I mean, we're recording this literally within an hour of the news breaking. So we'll probably get some more details at some point uh, later this evening or on Thursday. Jackson, let's wrap things up here. Uh, we went a little bit long there for preseason game number two, but we'll be doing this uh, throughout the regular season as well. So thanks for joining me on this one. And obviously looking forward to talking with you again soon.
1: Yeah, happy to, uh, happy to be back talking about uh, Sixers games. And I'm sure we'll be doing it uh weekly at this point where the NBA season's back. Even if the games don't count in the win-loss column yet, they, they will soon. And uh, we'll be doing it for uh, months on end, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, well, the good news, Jackson, is next week we won't be talking about if Trevelyn. well, one more week of Trevelyn Queen, and and Isaiah Joe, who deserves to play, and then the games will start to count Come time for October 18th. Uh, That'll do it for this one. Like I mentioned off the top, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We've added a couple of new shows to our network, Seamus Clancy, Paul Hudrick. Doing the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast. That's Billy, really, basically a Philly-centric sports show uh, that touches on everything from the Sixers, to the Eagles, Flyers, Phillies, all the way down to the Union. It doesn't matter what you want to talk about, they'll have you covered there. And of course, Josh Reynolds bringing over his You Know Ball podcast to our network as well. So excited to have them on board.